It says, believe, whosoever will, believe. But let's look at uh, Romans chapter 3. And there's quite a number of verses here, so I'm just going to turn there. And we're going to look at verse nine, starting at verse 9. And we're going to go through 23. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. So, this verse here, Paul is saying, we, we proved this previously. So, in chapter 1, verses 18 through the end, he shows the life of Gentiles, sold out to sin completely. And then he goes into chapter 2, and he begins to point out that Jews consistently disobey the law of God. Even though they have the law, they have the commandments, they continually disobey God. And now he's saying, okay, I've, I've made my case, I've stated my point, and now we're going to get into what does that actually mean in regards to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are, what then? Are we better than they? No one, no wise. Are we Christians? Are we better than they? We've proved before, Jews and Gentiles are all sinners. All of them choose sin. Verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Wow. So now he's really bringing, he's prosecuting us now. And we're in trouble. He's bringing out a lot of dangerous facts here. There's none that understands. Wow, ouch. There's none that seeks after God. There's none that seeks God. They're all gone out of the way. Isn't there some exceptions to that? Well, he, Paul doesn't make any. They're all gone out of the way. They're together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Wow. Not a single one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. Uh, ouch. I mean, think about what he's just saying there. That sepulcher sounds really nice. It's fa very fancy. But their throat is a grave. He's literally saying the opening of a grave, right? That's, that's your throat. Well, what's at the bottom of a grave? <laughs> With their tongues, they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped in all the world. How many? All the world. Now, if here's a little lesson. All the world, that's not just Jews, that's everybody, that's, that's Gentiles, that's you and I. Wow, that all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin." But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, 
being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. A couple points that I really want to emphasize from there is there is none that seeks after God. I think about that for a second. God offers himself freely. And he says, I have salvation for you. I have freedom for you. I have complete forgiveness for you. I've got a new life for you. I've got eternity for you. And what, what does man in his own devices do? Does he say, oh, it's amazing, I accept it. That's not the picture that Paul is painting there. He's saying there's no one that seeks God. There's no one that understands. They're all gone out of the way. So we, in our own will, do not choose him. Our will is actually in bondage to sin. Let's bring up that quote from You Must Be Born Again, Brother George. He says, first, we reckon ourselves sinners and worthy of condemnation. And we are all born in sin and shaped in iniquity. There's not a sound parcel of us. Our minds are bad. Our soul is corruptible. Our constant thinking is evil. Every imaginary thought of a man's mind is evil, a sinner. And also that our body is weak. Our spirit is no good. And we're just full of corruption. And how could one corruptible thing bring another good thing out of a corruptible? Let me say this, that in Job, 14th chapter, he said, Seeing that man is born of a woman is full of sorrow and trouble, yet he cometh forth like a flower, he fadeth away. And on, as the prophet goes on speaking, he said, Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. You stick your bucket down in the well and pull out a bucket of water and it's stagnant. It stinks. You look at it and it's muddy and little worms is in that water. There's no way at all to put your bucket back and get a clean bucket. The whole well is contaminated and the whole soul, mind, and body of man is contaminated with sin. And born in sin, physically shaped in iniquity and come to the world speaking lies so that his own soul is contaminated, nothing good. One cannot redeem the other because it's all wrong and you can't take a bucket full of water here that's contaminated another bucket full that's contaminated and mix them together. You've got more contamination, no purification to it. Wow. We're completely sold out out to sin. He says body, soul, and spirit. The whole thing is sold out to sin. And then... In the sermon, Jehovah Jireh, the next quote there, uh, they probably, he was a farmer, lived in the valley of Shinar there and lived an ordinary life. He probably went out in the daytime and got his meat from the bush and picked berries and lived that sort of a life, just an ordinary man. There was nothing special about him, but one day God called him. That's what made the difference when God made the call. And that's the way it is to any life. It takes God It isn't what you do, it's what God does. See, you say, I sought God, I sought God. You're mistaken. No man seeks God. God seeks the man. See, it's not you seeking God, it's God seeking you. Jesus said, you haven't chosen me, but I chose you. See, so you're you're chose before the foundation of the world or you wasn't chose at all. You just come to redeem that name. And all those names are not on the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world is the only ones going to be there. 
Anyhow, see, you were chosen him before the foundation of the world. When the lamb was chosen, then you were chosen with him before the foundation. And you are, as I said last night, an attribute of God's thinking. See, that's the only way you can be eternal, an only form of eternal life. There's only one form of eternal life, and that's God. So that's all. He is the one that's eternal. So it's God doing the seeking. It's God doing the calling. It's God from start to finish. So so Paul is going through and he's telling us, he's trying to establish, this is why God is just in condemning you. This is why God is is right when he leaves when he has you in this condition of condemnation. This is why you need the gospel which is the power of God unto salvation. For everyone that believes. But who are the ones that believe? Those who are ordained to eternal life believe. Who are the ones that choose God? The ones that God comes and says I'm changing your desire. I'm changing your will. I'm opening your eyes. That's the key. Uh, he opens our eyes. He opens our understanding. So that then we have the capability to say yes. Amen. To say amen. It's Him doing it. You choose sin because that's your nature. You reject God because that's your nature. Nature. I grew up in a Christian home. My parents taught me to believe the, believe the Bible. When someone asked me about the Bible, it didn't matter how rotten of a life I was living, I said yes to it. And yet, I wanted something different. Yeah. Guess what? My wanting something different resulted in a few tears and continuing in the same sin. What changed when God came to me and changed me. I was choosing Him all the day long. I was saying, I want you, I just want to change, I want to be different. And then when I was really confronted with (laughs) something sinful, I chose it. And then I felt bad about it. But what happened? What, what, What was different? He changed my desire. He opened he, he he opened my understanding to something that I never had an understanding of before, and that that's what he does for you and I. We can live in a godly home. We can have the right influence around us. That's wonderful. <laughs> that's the best scenario you can possibly have. Parents that are praying for you, parents that are pointing you to the scriptures, parents that are doing all they can uh, with their own fallible life to live for Christ. That's the best situation you can possibly have. And yet, it comes up way short. Because it has to be God taking you and changing your desires. Giving you a thirst for Him. Otherwise, you'll just you'll live a nice life, you'll be a good kid, and you'll thirst after the things of the world. And you might not thirst for the extreme things of the world, but you'll still thirst for the things of the world until He comes and changes your nature. Changes your desire. And only He can do that. You can't accomplish that yourself. You know, God even has put a conscience within us. You know, we find that. We read about that in Romans chapter 1 and and 2. He's placed that conscience within us. But even that conscience is marred and hindered by sin and doesn't 
Your conscience isn't infallible. You see things wrong. You, you make the wrong choices. And, and even that conscience ta- will take you in the wrong direction. So it needs to be more than just a conscience. Even with a conscience, people still choose evil. And then they become, as they continue to choose evil, they become more and more calloused until their conscience is not even in operation anymore. It's just gone dormant. But even in a Christian home, even as a, a good kid, you're going to not choose the right things. You're going to choose evil until Christ comes and makes the change in you. You're not going to make the right choices. You're going to go the wrong way. You're going to, you're going to be out of balance. It takes Christ to come and, and baptize you with a new nature. First uh, Corinthians 15, verse 22. For as in Adam all die... Even so, in Christ shall all be made alive. So Adam is the, was the head of the human race. Um, all of us, all the elect, were in Adam. And were to come forth from Adam. And when Adam sinned, he was judged and condemned. Guess, what, guess who else was? You and I. We sinned in Adam. We were judged in Adam. We were condemned in Adam. So then came a new head. (laughs) Then came the second Adam, Jesus Christ. And God placed us, all the elect of all ages, in him. So he lived a perfect, righteous, holy life. He shed his blood. He died in our place. He literally took our punishment that we deserved. God poured his wrath out upon Christ and he was buried and he was raised up. We were in him. All of his righteousness, all his resurrection, his blood, all of that now is imputed to us. God placed all of our sin upon him. God takes all of his righteousness and places it upon you and me. That's our only hope. So it comes again. Scripture gives the possibility in Romans chapter 1 that a person could recognize God in his creation and could respond and, and in faith and walk in the right way. It gives the possibility. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? God will, those who never heard the gospel are going to be judged based upon what they saw. Not what they saw in paganism, but what they saw of the, the eternal Godhead in creation and how did they respond. What does Paul say? Paul gives the answer of how they'll respond. <laughs> There's no one that seeks after God. There's no one that does good. No, not one. All are condemned before him. This is the basics of the gospel. And the only practica- practical way for them to be saved is to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. There's only one way. Amen. There's only one means of salvation. That's the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. And it has to be applied. Without the shedding of blood, there is no re- forgiveness of sins. 
So without the blood of Christ and the blood of bulls and goats does not wipe away sins. It covers them, pushes them forward until the perfect sacrifice comes. And uh, let's look at that quote in When Their Eyes Were Opened, 1964. That's what he come for. The clean out them kind that the Father had given him before the foundation of the world. Amen. I feel religious when I know that to be the truth. Not he that willeth or he that runneth. It's God. Amen. Not how much you done or how much you didn't do. No man sought God. God sought you. Thank the Lord. Acts chapter 16, verse 14. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us. Look at this next phrase. Whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. That's the real difference. What's the difference between the elect and the non-elect, God opens some hearts, others, he leaves them in their own condition. He said, that's not fair. God has to give the same opportunity to all. He does give the same opportunity to all. But the fact is, unless the Lord opens the heart, the people are not going to respond. So rather than letting us all be condemned, he, he draws some of us to himself. John 6, verse 44. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. So can we come to Christ in our own effort? Will we come to Christ in our own effort? No. No man can come to me Except the Father which has sent me, draw him. If you look at this word draw in the Greek, it literally means to drag. And so God is saying, God is saying, I chose you before the foundation of the world. Here is, is the word made manifest before you. I want you to respond. And, and we don't always respond right away. But then God comes and says, okay. He drags us. says, you will respond. Amen. Amen. <laughs> okay. That's His grace. We, we, it's not our own effort. It's not what we've done. It's what He has done for us. Amen. We and ourselves, you know, our, our own righteousness is as filthy rags. Yes. Amen. So the best things that we've done in our life the best missions trips that I have ever had <laughs> in my life, in God's eyes, are filthy rags. Of myself, in and of myself. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ, Amen. those things, <laughs> those righteous things that I've done, God looks at them and says, oh, that's perfect. <laughs> that's beautiful. Not because I did it, but because the blood of Jesus Christ covers me. And he called me, and he purposed in me, and he sent me, and it's him the whole time anyways. Yeah, right. But even that, there's a, lo there's a lot of this that needs to die still. <laughs> there's a lot of this that needs to change still. And so that's what the blood is for. We need the blood every minute, every day. We're n 
You and I will never come to the place where we're perfect in this life like the perfect Son of God was. We will never do that. I don't care. We will come to a place of perfection, the Bible says. But what does that mean? (laughs) Does that mean sinless? It does not mean sinless. It means maturity, completion. We'll reach the place where we've arrived, where God has wanted us to, to arrive, and then we'll be raptured. And and it's not our effort that does it. It's the work of God within us that does it. And I'm so glad that God didn't leave me to my own free will.